This is First You Hustle, a podcast from the Columbus College of Art and Design meant to help students and budding creative professionals put their expertise to use. I'm Jordan Bell, and welcome back to part two of our episode on mental health. Last time I spoke with Maria Carluccio, a faculty member, to discuss what self-barriers we're seeing creative students go through, and today we're bringing in the pro to tell us why it happens, how it happens, and most importantly, what to do about it. My name is Erin Black. I'm the director of the CCAD Counseling and Wellness Center, and I've been here at CCAD for almost six years. We get into the factors that cause barriers, the science of barriers, and we even use the word neuroplasticity. But luckily, the solutions are easier to pronounce. Talk to each other. Talk to each other. Talk to each other. Talk to each other. Because the person next to you is probably experiencing some of the stuff you're experiencing. But we don't know it. We have no idea. Like, we're totally isolated. We can't check our own thinking. Like, we need those external people and voices to be like, hey, that doesn't actually sound accurate. Like, I don't think you're a piece of crap. We also discussed the value of taking time to assess and reflect. So in a meta way, this episode might allow you to do just that. Strap in, take a walk while you listen, clear your head with us for the next 45 minutes. It might just be the best thing you do for your career. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of First You Hustle. I'm not going to spend too much time in the introduction because I really want to get right back into our interview with Aaron Black, the director of the Counseling and Wellness Center, uh, and it does run a little long, but before we get into it, I do want to let you know why it runs a little long because we not only will give you some advice on how to avoid barriers, but we also talk about what causes barriers, not just external forces, but internally, how do we process them and how do we go through them? And I think it's really important that uh, how Aaron shines some light on that for us because understanding it makes it much more of a tangible thing to uh, to deal with. And that's what this episode is all about is recognizing self barriers and then trying to overcome it. So hopefully this gets you thinking about things that you might be going through or just as importantly, things you see other people going through and Another thing that you should take away from this episode is that it's okay to talk about these things and it's necessary to talk about these things. So make sure you are reaching out to your peers and your colleagues and asking if they're okay and if they want to talk about it because that is a really healthy thing to do. So without any further ado, uh, let's get back into our conversation with Aaron and find out a little bit more about what are some of those barriers that uh, we see students self-imposing. So um, I think I might start a little broadly and then narrow in. Um, so we we know that um, anxiety and stress, but anxiety is the number one mental health concern for all college counseling students. Um, so nationwide, everywhere, that's what's happening. Um, it's the same thing in our center here and on our campus here. We see a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. Um, it's even more than, than depression, and we can kind of get into maybe that a little bit later and uh, how that's kind of morphed over the years. Um, but how how that ties in, I think, a lot with our students um, and uh, some of, I know we're talking a lot about um, self-imposed barriers or internal barriers or, or 
however we're wanting to phrase that. Um, seeing a lot, we see a lot of perfectionism, um, which kind of goes hand in hand with like anxiety and fear and that kind of stuff. Um, we see uh, a lot of um, buying into the culture of busy, I think, which I which is also a, a trend that's much larger than us. I think it's happening nationwide, not just in colleges, but I think everywhere. Um, we uh, see, I think what we've called in, in lots of different departments here called the compare and despair sort of uh, situation. So um, maybe a lot of our students uh, are coming to us from places where they might have been the art person or the creative. Um, and they're coming to CCAD and they're surrounded with lots and lots of folks who are also art people and creative. Um, so they're you know looking to the left, looking to the right, and, and seeing people who are really excelling and doing well. So the way... Um, I talk about this a lot, uh, is sort of like the, the big fish in the small pond moving to a much larger pond um, sort of scenario. Uh, so being comparing uh, to, to peers even, um, sometimes saying, oh, I don't know how to use the creative suite, or I'm not really sure about um, uh, you know this kind of photography or whatever it is, um, and assuming that they should already be knowing this stuff when they're here to learn. Um, so we're, we're here to, to learn new skills and try on new things, and I think that it ties in really nicely with the conversation that you were having with uh, Maria uh, in the, the previous episode about um, looking at social media, seeing people's finished products, and not seeing sort of the, the struggle or the learning or the mistakes and all that kind of stuff that goes along the way, mm -hmm. um, and just assuming they should have it down already. Some of the other things that I think um, happen, uh, you know, fear of rejection kind of ties in with all of this stuff. Um, hear a lot of students who say, oh, well, I, I really don't want to disappoint my instructor or I think they're going to be angry with me because I didn't go to class or my classmates are going to think that I'm lazy. Um, so uh, like even though they don't know maybe what's going on for that student personally, they might have some significant personal concerns that are going on, um, things that have happened in their lives or mental health concerns. Um, but um, you know, being really afraid that people are going to be thinking negatively. It kind of goes back to uh, this idea of shame. And shame is something that we don't talk a heck of a lot about. Um, even I think with some mental health professionals in our training, like in graduate school, um, we learn a lot about lots of different kinds of diagnoses. But I actually just sat on a, on a panel for new professionals recently um, and uh, was talking a lot about shame and how we don't really learn about that too much in grad school. Maybe some programs do. Um, but I talk a lot with students about shame and what the difference is between shame, embarrassment, guilt even. Um, so guilt might be like, oh, I, I messed that thing up and, and I feel bad about that. And maybe that's rightfully so. Um, embarrassment I kind of put out there as uh, like, yeah, oh, I, 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 I messed this thing up and I don't feel that great about it. But later on, I can kind of laugh about it. And shame being something that feels a little bit deeper. Um, so instead of, um, oh, I messed that up, shame is, oh, I am messed messed up. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why that happened that way. Or that's why I continue to um, behave in this way or have this pattern of way of, of doing things and things like that. Mm -hmm. so, Might that also be a reason why students don't speak up? They don't ask that question. Yeah. Like, I, well, I don't actually know how to do that process or yes. I'm, you know, embarrassed or I feel shame that I missed class. So I'm not going yes. to try to catch up. Yes. Okay. Um, and it, I always go back to, and I know that I've said this to lots of different people, but I go back to um, 
we uh, have a program here at CCAD that most of our students know about. It's currently called New Student Seminar. Um, and there was a couple of years ago where we did a session, and there was probably 50 to 75 students in that session in the auditorium. And the staff member who was giving the, the presentation to the students asked, okay, hey, how many of you have not understood a concept or been struggling in class and you know are not sure what to do? Almost every hand in the auditorium went up. Her next question was, how many of you have actually asked your instructor about getting help about this? Maybe a few hands went up. Um, so we know that there are questions, there are things that we don't know how to do, and we're not reaching out um, to other people to get that feedback or to try to figure it out. We're trying to do it in isolation. Yeah, it seems like vulnerability, like that trait would come from having confidence. And it mm. almost seems like a catch-22 that you can't yeah. open yourself up to it if you're not confident, but you'll never be confident if you don't open yourself up to it. So yeah, I guess this gets into what are what are ways and are there tactics or resources that if someone is now listening to this and thinking like, you know, this sounds a lot awful lot like me, what what should they do? Getting, I mean, being able to take small steps. So you don't have to throw yourself into the deep end of the pool to teach yourself how to swim. Mm -hmm. um, you're gonna you're gonna take things a little bit of a step at a time and have some have some self compassion, um, some some patience for for self. I think that um, especially when uh, we're younger or if we're older and haven't done some of this work for ourselves, um, even uh, it can we can just Kind of, kind of going back to that, I'm expecting myself to know this already, or I'm impatient, or I think I should get this quicker. Um, it takes time to learn things. Um, so being able to take things a step at a time, trying maybe being open or vulnerable or experimenting with confidence with somebody who feels a little bit safer, um, maybe a close friend or a family member, and then maybe expanding that to an instructor that you feel especially close with, um, and then maybe trying out with some friends. So kind of taking things step by step, um, but really... Something important in all of this is being able to slow down, uh, which I think is really hard in the way the way our, our society and our culture is structured. I think sometimes, um, you know, with how rigorous our, our students' schedules are and um, the the curriculum and all that sort of sort of thing, um, as well as their passion and their drive, uh, it can it can be hard to slow down, which is part of why self-care stuff suffers too. Mm -hmm. um, so slowing down and the purpose for, for that and what we're talking about is being able to like take a breath and pay attention to ourselves instead of just jumping to the conclusions of like, uh, you know, I'm lazy or I just need to work harder or I need to keep pushing through this. Like, let's slow down and start asking ourselves some questions. You don't need to go to therapy to do this. Therapy can be helpful, um, but this is something that people can do on their own or they can do with their, their friends or their loved ones or, or whatever. Um, slowing down like, and being curious, like, what, what is driving this for me? Um, why, what is making me feel so anxious? And even drilling down like, to a question further than that, like, you know, okay, so, so what is it about that thing that, that is making me feel like I need to keep going and can't stop? Um, so being able to have some curiosity for self and compassion for self in that process, which is tough. Um, one of the things um, that 
we the work that I uh, like to do with students sometimes is, uh, especially if we want something that will work a little bit quicker, is um, using some skills that are related to something that's called cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT. Um, it's a really common way of doing therapy, and that's not all the therapy that we do in the Counseling Wellness Center. We do many other things as well. Um, but cognitive behavioral therapy is all about um, the connection between our thoughts and our feelings and our behavior and how those things are all connected and all influence each other. So if we're able to slow down a little bit, to just take a little bit of a pause, um, maybe when we're not feeling well, when we're feeling depressed or hard on ourselves or stressed or anxious or even angry, whatever, whatever it might be, noticing, oh, I'm feeling this way, taking a breath. And then uh, being able to ask some questions to get just a little bit of space in between that thought that happens and the feeling that it might be producing, which might be that stress or anxiety or whatever. Um, so being able to pay attention to ask those questions, get that space so that provides a little bit of wiggle room so that we can realize that we have options. We don't necessarily have to go to the feeling of that compare and despair or whatever else it might be that we're experiencing. There might be other options in there, but we won't know that until we slow down, start asking ourselves some questions. One of the questions that um, I think is one of the quickest ways to get at whether or not we're being fair with ourselves or, or that we're treating ourselves kindly um, is once we pause and realize or, the, the, or isolate the thought that we're having and the thought might be, um, like, you know, just I'm, I'm a failure. Like I didn't, I didn't do well in that project. Like I'm never going to do well in this class. I'm not going to be an illustrator, mm -hmm. whatever it might be. Um, so pause, if we're able to identify that's the thought, then ask yourself the question, hey, would I, would I say that out loud to somebody who I loved and cared about, to somebody who is my friend? Most of the time the answer is no, I wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. And I'll ask a student, well, how come? How come you wouldn't say that to somebody? And the answer is always, well, I, I love them. I care about them. They're, they're my friend. I wouldn't say that. Or, um, well, it would hurt their feelings. Mm -hmm. So, and from there, we're able to, to, uh, to talk a little bit more about that and say, well, well, how do you feel like that's impacting you every time that thought plays in your mind and, and goes through for you? Mm -hmm. um, what do you think the impact of that is? And, and it's pretty intuitive, I think. I think we like to pretend like we're not maybe impacted in that way by ourselves mm -hmm. or by messages we get from the outside. But um, the more we, we get a message, um, the, the more we're going to internalize it. And that, that goes to some sort of neurological concepts, so the concept of like neuroplasticity and some other things that mm -hmm. we can talk more about. That, I mean, that was just interesting what you just said uh i never thought of it as my internal monologue comparing that to if someone else approached me and said yeah. the same thing yeah and yeah it would, it would make me angry if someone was like you're not good enough yeah we'd I be say, like what like, the hell or yeah. like wow that really hurt me how could you say that to me but we do that constantly and it's running all the time and if we're not slowing down if we're not paying attention to that if we're not helping ourselves to find some of that space in that wiggle room it will continue and we won't ask ourselves questions and then we'll just keep saying like keep coming up with because we want to answer the question of like why am i doing this why am i procrastinating why am I sleeping in and not making it to my class? Um, why am I, you know, not turning in my projects on time? Whatever it is, um, and our brains crave answers. We we don't like normally we don't like ambiguity. We don't like uncertainty. Like it's scary. Uh, it's it's uncertain. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what's happening. Um, so our brains naturally try to come up with an answer. And in a lot of those cases, um, I find, or we find, that those answers are the, the kind of quick and dirty answers. Um, quick and dirty answers are categorizing things. 
Um, and that's a survival mechanism that's evolutionary. Mm-hmm. Um, like we want to be able to categorize things because that feels safe to us. We know, okay, this is okay, this isn't, whatever. We can take that all the way back to hunter-gatherer days if we want to do that. We, we come up with answers that are, are generalized like, I am lazy, or I'm not working hard enough, or I'm not talented, or I'm not smart. Um, those are easy answers. Uh, and it's, it, and it's, it's compelling and, and drawing to want to go to that. That feels like the answer, and then that's the end of the question. You know, there's a period at the end of that. That's not true. Um, I, I don't, I mean, I'd, for the last couple of years, I've been playing around with having conversations with people about the concept that laziness does not exist. Um, and uh, there will be people who argue with me on that, and maybe there are some cases where it applies. I don't see it applying for our students. There is nobody here. There are no students here who don't care mm-hmm. about what they're doing. Right. You, I mean, you have to give a shit about what you're doing to be an art and design school, um, to, be, to be an artist or a designer or a creative or a maker or however you want to call it. Like, there's passion there inherently. Like, it's always there. Um, so, like, you can't, you can't be lazy. Mm-hmm. That's not what it is. So let's dig and let's ask ourselves, okay, well, if it's not that, what else could it be? And be curious and try to open that up a little bit instead of putting ourselves in that box of that easy answer. Um, and the easy answer that we go to, even though it's painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was thinking about the difference between an art and design school and like a liberal arts institution mm-hmm. in a one way much more demanding Yes, an art school because you yes, are, it is. You're, you're forced into that time of like I have three hours of class and three hours of studio, mm-hmm. whereas in other institutions it's three hours of class and then I'm expected to put in right. more time studying, but right. that's up to me. Right. So it definitely kind of puts students through a ringer. If they're not used to that, you know, from yeah. high school, then that yeah. can also be Yeah, something. high school or another college mm-hmm. or wherever they might have come from in their life before, for sure. Um, I think there's absolutely a different kind of pressure um, and intensity that is uh, involved in our students' education and development and growth here. Um, everything is public. You're doing a critique. Um, you know, if it's not every week, then, you know, I mean, regularly it's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you're presenting. You're talking in front of people. We know that social anxiety is a huge concern um, for, for all college students um, and also our, our, our students. And that kind of goes back to that fear of rejection, the internalized shame, um, the internalization of like external standards and expectations, even if they're not actually there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of energy out there about the competitiveness of going into creative fields, mm-hmm. um, fine art, um, you know, ad, in advertising, graphic design, fashion, you know, whatever it is, I think that there's a lot of felt pressure on like, if I don't do this, I'm not going to be able to be the designer, the artist, uh, the, uh, the illustrator, the animator, whatever, the, whatever it is. I think that that's additional pressure. And I think that you and Maria Carluccio were talking about that last time about um, it, you might not do that one particular thing that you think that you need to do to be successful. Um, and this is one of those other barriers, I think, that sometimes students or we as human beings, let's go ahead and say it that way, don't realize that our, our learning and our skills are transferable, highly transferable. Our students and, and creative thinking and creative mindset, that's highly desirable in lots and lots of different fields. Um, so you might not have to do that one thing. You might not have to feel that pressure to operate in that way. Or you can do those things but blaze your own trail and do 
do things in a different way. Because um, I think that sometimes there is an expectation, at least the vibe that I've picked up on, um, that there can be an expectation that you will sacrifice like self and wellness in order to meet deadlines or, or you know, there's no forgiveness and there's no wiggle room. And yeah, you can't, you can't let your clients down continuously and expect to um, have, a, have a thriving um, agency or freelance business or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there's got to be, again, kind of going back to finding space, finding wiggle room, um, and knowing that there are other ways of doing things. You don't have to do it in just this one way, um, which is a, a rigid and flexible way of thinking. Um, I, we, we at CCID or at Art and Design Schools, I think, have more opportunity to think out of the box than probably anywhere else. I mean, that's rich mm-hmm. um, and exciting. And I think that still, even though we are surrounded with amazingly brilliant and, and creative folks, that sometimes we can still kind of fall into those traps of like, I have to do this one thing or I have to do it in this way to be this thing. There, it's also, there's an opportunity when you're in college to develop some habits that are lifelong. Because yes. art school is competitive, yes. but every time you move into the next kind of stratosphere of your career Mm -hmm. you always have the same feelings if you talk to people there if there's a person in your industry that you look up to and you idolize you're like someday i want to be that person and you Mm -hmm. can get inside their head they're having the same doubts and fears and they're not expressing their vulnerability and you would be probably shocked by how Mm -hmm. lacking in confidence they are but Mm -hmm. because they're at a pro level they mm-hmm. present this, you know, sort of sure. like, I have it all put together, yeah. but they're thinking about the same things that they're in a peer group. Now the stakes are a lot higher. Yeah. You know, so it never, it, it never stops, which is it scary. It does not. I don't, I never want anybody to give up on themselves. Like, and, and yes, just because things might become more hardwired, um, like doesn't mean that we're not able to, to shift. And this is something that we talk about with our students at orientation um, and, uh, and family members too. Uh, so talking about this period, and, and most of our students fall into the range of like 18 to 25-ish, and I know that's not speaking to everyone, um, but I'm going to talk a little bit about brain science for a second. Mm-hmm. As at, at, the, at orientation and at other um, opportunities, any opportunity that I get really, talk about this concept of emerging adulthood, um, which is like you're, you're not a child, you're not an adolescent, um, but you're still working on some of that independence, that autonomy, um, and brain science backs that up. Um, so we know that um, our prefrontal cortex, which is this area that's like right in the, our forehead, like right behind our eyes, basically, like in that in that yeah, area. Your third eyes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, I like I like the alignment of that. Right. Um, so um, that's where all, like a lot of our higher level functioning stuff comes from. That's that's the part of our brain that makes us really different from other animals. So that's judgment, decision making, um, long range planning, um, and goal setting setting. Um, uh, you know, moral reasoning, um, you know, being able to, um, to navigate all of that stuff that's, that's higher level. Um, and that's the last part of our brain that comes fully online. Um, so it's not until we're around, most research looks at, at this and, and shows, that, at least that I've seen, um, that our prefrontal cortex is not totally developed until we're at least 25 years old. Um, so that means that we are still, like we're not even fully formed yet physiologically at that point. And we're expecting ourselves when we are you know, 18, 20, whatever years old um, to have it all together and to know what we're doing. Um, and like it's ju- it just doesn't work that way. Um, so I talk with people about that or we talk with people about that to try to set a realistic expectation give yourself a break um you might be feeling really emotional about this because other systems in your brain are kicking in 
because your prefrontal cortex isn't totally online or your prefrontal cortex hasn't figured out and learned and, and kind of crystallized some of the stuff that will really help you to navigate this situation. Um, and there, I mean, I've even seen one research study that said it's like not until you're like 40 that mm-hmm. you like reach like uh, like cognitive adulthood. Yeah. And it goes back to um, I mentioned the the term neuroplasticity. It's really big right now um, in the in in the research and and um, looking at you know why we do the things we do and um, why we have certain emotional reactions and why we have patterns. Um, every experience, you know, we we genetically uh, you know we might be born with certain predispositions, but also every experience that we have in life um, is a stimulus that that changes us and it influences what directions we go in and it influences our nervous system. Um, You can look at a neuron, a nerve cell underneath a microscope, expose it to a stimulus and then actually watch it physically change. It can grow. It can change directions that it's growing in. It can look like a different shape. Um, So every time we're learning, that's what's happening in our brains. Um, And we we don't realize that like learning or memorizing, um, whatever it is, if it's another language, if it's, um, you know, techniques and color theory, you know, whatever it is that we're doing, um, like that's changing our brain. That's changing our nervous system. Um, if we've had lots of negative um, or painful or traumatic experiences, that changes our nervous system. If we've had experiences where we were able to um, experience hardship and then um, utilize resilience or have support in our lives to move through that, that changes what our nervous system looks like. Um, so, so all of that growth and development is still happening, and it's always happening. And that's why um, I say that there's always hope, <laughs> because we can always change that. Sometimes it can be a little bit harder. When we're little, when we're babies, when we're kids, um, we're a little bit more pliable, a little bit more plastic, which is the plasticity piece of that comes in, um, just because everything's new. Um, but And our brains are super efficient. Our brains want to, like I said before, like they, like our brains don't like uncertainty in some ways. We can train it to like it or, or feel okay with it. I don't know if we ever like it. It. I feel more okay with it um, if we get certain kinds of practice in. The more we experience something, the more sort of crystallized or hardwired that particular line of thinking or behavior, that nerve pathway is. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we practice something kind of over and over and over again, if it's that negative um, or harmful or hurtful self-talk, like, you know, I suck, I suck, I suck, I suck, that pathway is solid. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and our brains want to be efficient, so it just goes really quick. It goes really quick. Um, so it takes time. It takes that slowing down to be able to say, okay, I, okay, I don't suck. I wouldn't say that to somebody that I care about. Well, let me be curious. Let me ask myself some other questions. I can come up with some other reasons why this happened. And then I can go in this different path and grow in this different direction. It takes time and it takes patience and that compassion to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were asking about strategies to use earlier. And one of the ways to be able to get that space um, is to utilize like some mindfulness. And that's a term that lots of people are throwing out there now. Um, but mindfulness, meditation, even just taking a breath um, can be really helpful. Um, there's a lot of research that shows um, how mindfulness can physiologically change the brain and how the brain works. Um, We know that the brain uh, responds to emotional pain in the same way that it responds to physical pain. You can do um, a functional um, MRI and watch the the same regions of the brain um, that light up when there's physical pain, light up when there's emotional pain. Mm -hmm. Um, When we practice mindfulness, um, those pain reactivity centers, and I'm not using the proper terminology, but for our purposes, um, uh, like those, those centers 
symptoms become a little bit less active. Um, so it's not as quick. That response isn't as quick. So that allows us to slow down a little bit um, instead of having that panic and that pain reaction to have more of that curiosity and know that there's options. Um, and with mindfulness stuff, there's tons of apps. Headspace is a really good one that I know a lot of students use. Um, and there's there's tons of other ones out there. All you have to do is you know Google or look up in the app store, like you know mindfulness, relaxation, yeah. breathing, whatever, um, to, to be able to cultivate some of that stuff. What does something like Headspace do? Um, so you can track your, um, your meditation practice. Oh. They have uh, either open meditation where it's just quiet sitting meditation where you're focusing on breath. And a lot of meditation can be focusing on breath. Um, and it's all about being in the current moment. So we have a tendency to worry a lot about things that have happened, things that we've done, worry a lot about things in the future that might happen, and ignore that we're here right now. Mm -hmm. And usually, a lot of times in the here right now, we're actually okay. Um, like there actually is not a danger or a threat or, or something um, happening right now in this moment. Like realistically, you know, at a basic level. So being being in the current moment rather than having all that noise from the past and the future um, and being able to concentrate. And they, they use breath a lot um, in, in Buddhist meditation. That's a lot of what it is. Um, so focusing on the breath because it's something that's happening right here, right now, brings us back into our body. Because I think we also like to pretend that we're just like uh, I, uh, somebody uh, who I work with actually just used the phrase a brain on a stick mm -hmm. um, recently or like a disembodied head. Like mm -hmm. we just like to pretend like we're a brain and there's not an entire organism connected right. to the rest of it. Um, so bringing us into our body, bring us into the current moment, breathing, and then being able to try to just focus on that one thing, focus on the breath, because as much as it feels like we can think about a thousand things at one time, it's not true. We actually can only think of one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. We can just do a lot really quickly in sequence. <laughs> and, it, and it feels like everything kind of cascading and avalanching all at one time. So if we can focus on the one thing or train our attention, train our brain and our body to be able to, to concentrate and, and be with that one thing, that's something that can help us open up a little bit more space. Mm -hmm. um, so um, Headspace will can do that through either that open meditation focusing on breath. And there's tons, tons of meditation apps out mm -hmm. there. Um, there's also lots of guided meditations that will actually will give you something to listen to and focus on, which can help, especially when you're early on. Because um, there's no one way to be mindful or to meditate. You can do walking meditation. Like maybe your meditation is drawing mm -hmm. or sketching. Maybe your meditation is going for a run. Um, there can be movement involved with it. But um, apps like that, um, or even having a practice like that, is, is helping to shape the nervous system so that we're less reactive in the moment, um, so that we can be more responsive. Um, and actually um, you know, find healthier um, or, or more realistic ways of, of responding to something rather than that knee-jerk reaction. Yeah, this is super helpful because I think understanding is kind of the first step to like being able to take an inventory yeah. of what's yeah. going on. But yeah. also I know one thing that really helped me that kind of changed the way I thought about stuff was when someone recommended, instead of saying I don't have time, because I can imagine mm -hmm. people saying I don't have time to meditate, I don't oh, have time yeah. to relax, oh, yeah. that it's, it's about priorities. And so... Instead of saying, I don't have time to do something, would you say it's not a priority for me to mm -hmm. X, Y, Z? And then I can still see someone thinking this shouldn't be a priority, but self-care yeah. is kind of the number one. Like you really can't help anyone else or do anything else until 
you've kind of, you know, you can't love someone else until you love yourself. Type yeah. Of thing. I mean, w- without being exhausted, yeah. probably at a certain point, I mean, you can do it. Anybody can do anything for a certain period of time. I mean, depending on what your threshold is on that, but like at what cost, mm-hmm. that's the question. Like at what cost um, is this to you? Are you losing yourself? Are you losing? Uh, what are you losing? Asking yourself that question, maybe. maybe. Maybe you don't know. And that's that's another opportunity to reach out outside of yourself, Ask you know, asking friends, families, mentors, instructors, people who have been there before you, people who are willing to walk alongside of you um, in that process. Now, the idea that something has to be visible and tangible to show progress. Um, we have to be producing. Um, there's actually uh, a, a St. Vincent song that I really like called Digital Witness. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's uh, some, some of the lyrics are digital witnesses. What's the point of even sleeping? If I can't show it, you can't see me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love that because I think it plays so much into some, like all of our insecurities, um, because a lot of that will fall to what other people are seeing or what we think other people are seeing um, and um, making assumptions about that. And so we're ignoring some of the stuff that's going on maybe underneath or we're ignoring progress or like self-care that can happen that's maybe not visible in the way that we think that like a ceramics piece uh, is or, or some kind of deliverable. And I, uh, I the, the word deliverable um, makes me kind of smile a little bit because it's like it just really plays into like this is the product. This right. is what I'm what I'm making. Um, so I, I think I think a lot about like that culture of busy and I have to be busy mm-hmm. um, and everybody else is busy. And then it becomes sort of this competition for who's most busy um, and who's sleeping the least. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think that that plays in probably even more here because we're so visual at, at CCAD or any art and design school or any art and design um, uh, field or, or department, um, like there's a lot based on on what's what's seeable, um, and maybe not um, so much about like that that progress and like kind of going back to the the progress versus product sort of stuff or progress or um, uh, process versus outcome sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, I I think that that's important to to take into account too. Yeah, I mean it's really it's really kind of damning because you look at your process and mm-hmm. you might think like this is all you know it's all half baked and it's not good enough mm-hmm. and you're seeing all the mistakes that mm-hmm. you're making and then you mm-hmm. turn to social media and you see this mm-hmm. really filtered polished mm-hmm. you're only seeing mm-hmm. the good stuff mm-hmm. no one posts the like here's the selfie that didn't mm-hmm. come out or here's mm-hmm. the all the mistakes i made mm-hmm. in making this thing or yeah. you know whatever here's the bad parts of the vacation it might not even be things related to art <laughs> yeah right things related right. to your life you only right. see the most polished things and so it's and and then that just makes you turn to all the all the stuff that you would say is crap that you you just went through. Right. And then you see everyone else is on, you know, cloud nine, and then it just kind of makes you feel even worse about it. But mm-hmm. that's, I think that we mentioned the value of, you know, kind of social connectedness yes. you know, in like in person that that's where it's like you, you realize, oh, other people are going through yes. the same and you kind of talk real about yes. it. Yes. And unfortunately, hopefully social media can evolve to, give us a type of connection online but right and, now and i think that there are places where that does exist mm-hmm. um uh like there, there definitely is but um there's also we we know that there's more isolation among 
college students now than there used to be. Um, and I like there's a there's a, a uh, there's been research done on this. So there's a graph that that I actually have that shows um, you know the amount of time spent socializing with friends. And actually, this is there's um, a survey that goes out very often to lots of colleges across the country, um, uh, um, asking their first year students lots and lots of questions. Um, some of those questions are how many time, how many hours a week do you spend socializing with others? Um, and in the last 10 years or so, um, we've seen that trend go down. Um, we see more and more students spending maybe just a few hours a week socializing with friends. Um, and uh, so, so that line is kind of going down. And then also the line of like, you know, um, yeah, I guess I guess that's what I'm saying. I guess I'm saying everything in one at once. So you can actually see like the cross of where um, students who are spending more time socializing with friends that continues to drop. Uh, students who are spending less time like that's going up and mm -hmm. up. Um, it also is very interesting, and we can't say ca causality on this. So we can say correlation around in that same area of within the last like ten years, maybe more. Um, we've seen a switch in the number one. Um, mental health concern among college students in counseling centers used to be depression was depression up until like maybe the last 10 13 14 years something like that when it started to flip to anxiety and now anxiety has been going higher and higher and higher and I just think that it's interesting um, that that trend of spending less time face-to-face -face socializing with peers um, has been going on alongside at the same time as that big upsweep and sweep in anxiety and I think there's other cultural factors there there's pressure um, in our k-12 systems about teaching to tests and you know all kinds of different standardized stuff and all that kind of stuff. I think everything feeds in mm -hmm. um, we can even say the 24-hour news cycle stuff feeds in yeah. there's there's lots mm -hmm. Um, but I think that um, that is that's an interesting um, thing to to look at and to know. Um, I mean, if you're not going to utilize therapy, and there's not always therapy. Like for example, I know we there are times when we have wait lists um, here in our counseling center, and we try to refer people out or to help people in the ways that we can. Um, but if that's not available, or if you don't want to do that, talk to each other talk to each other, talk to each other, talk to each other, mm -hmm. because the person next to you is probably experiencing some of the stuff you're experiencing, like you were talking about earlier, Jordan. Um, but we don't know it. We have mm -hmm. no idea. Like, we're totally isolated. We can't um, check our own thinking. Like, we need those external people and voices to be like, hey, that doesn't actually sound accurate. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think you're a piece of crap. Like, right. um, like so we, we need to have those other voices, and we need to do this together. What would happen? What would happen if we were all talking to each other? Mm -hmm. more um, and all able to know that we were going through a lot of the same things. Yeah. And, and it's another thing that I, I've actually heard students say before that's mm -hmm. like, I don't have time for clubs. Like, I wish I could be more involved in whatever the student collective that's mm -hmm. in my major, uh, but I don't have time for that. But now thinking about priorities, mm -hmm. maybe knowing the benefits that can give you to yeah. the work that you're yeah. doing and what you're trying to achieve, yeah. then it becomes something that's like, oh, I, I need to at least have some outlet having no outlet yeah you don't need to be involved in every single club but you need to be you know you need to have some you need to be able to point to something and say that's an opportunity where i can actually connect to another yeah, yeah. at least anecdotally i feel like i've been seeing student involvement go down um, so at programs that have been going on this year, I feel like we've seen less students come out for them. And I think that it just kind of is continuing. Um, we just got some, some data back. We just administered the, the Healthy Mind Study, which a lot of students, if, if they're listening to this, um, might have taken that, that survey. 
Um, and uh, we, we got some information showing that there are a lot of students who don't feel connected to the campus community. And I think that it speaks to this isolation and this focus um, maybe solely on, on the craft. And, and, I, and I'm not an artist or a designer, so I can't really say like how much you need to devote to that, but I can say what we see here, what we see um, at art and design colleges in general, um, as well as at CCAD, is that our students have higher levels of mental health concerns than all college counseling or, or all college students on the national average um, and, and also as far as the folks who are using our, our counseling and wellness services. Um, but we know that art and design students or, art, or students at art and design um, affiliated schools um, are endorsing higher levels of just about every single mental health concern there is. Um, so why is that? Um, our students also endorse higher levels of competitiveness between one another um, than college, our college students on the national average. So like you were talking about liberal Art, liberal art schools earlier, um, those students are not endorsing as much competitiveness. And I think part of that is that visual nature, the critique culture, um, all of that stuff, as well as the fields. Um, but what is that doing to us? Um, the, the competition, um, the not feeling connected, and then um, all these higher levels of mental health concerns, like what is happening? We also know our students don't sleep <laughs> as, mu as much as other students at other colleges. Um, so at, at non-art and design um, colleges, and this is all from research that we've done. It's all from these surveys that our students do. So students, if you're listening, this is helpful for us in knowing what's going on for you and for us to be able to try to develop some, some programming for you that maybe you won't go to because you're too busy. Um, but but uh, that was a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Sorry about that. Um, but uh, um, hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. Um, so we, we have um, less healthy eating patterns. We have um, less sleeping. We have higher competitiveness. And we have um, more um, disconnectedness um, and more general mental health conditions like depression, anxiety, thoughts about suicide. Mm -hmm. um, so this is not even, I mean, that, that would be talking about things that are, that are higher level and, and very serious. Um, but these are all things that we need to be talking to each other about to help each other through because we know that those things develop and grow in isolation. Um, if we're not talking about about it, there's no chance to, to get some assistance. Um, I think that people assume that they're not strong mm -hmm. if they don't do it on their own. And I would like to say that that is bullshit. Mm -hmm. um, we are not, we are, we are not um, wired um, as human beings to do things all by ourselves. And it's just uh, like, it's not an accurate way of thinking. Um, we can't do it all by ourselves. I don't know anybody who's entirely self-made. <laughs> like it's just it's not, it's not possible. It's not physically possible. Um, and uh, when we break it down, it kind of doesn't make sense, but there's still a lot of shame around that. Mm -hmm. There's also the idea behind like, well, it's not going to help anything if I just talk about my problems. Just gonna, I'm going to be a burden to other people. That's a self-barrier mm -hmm. yeah. that, that happens a lot. I'm glad that we're continuing to talk about it. Um, like I'm going to be a burden to other people. I'm going to bring other people down. Um, like you, I mean, that's more isolation talking to itself. Um, and it's not going to help. You need to be able to find someone, um, a friend, a family member, a teacher, a mentor, a therapist. Um, if you're involved in a faith tradition, you know, somebody, somebody who's in that community, a clergy member or whatever. Um, there's lots and lots of options. There might be online options to help with that. Face-to-face, -face, I think I prefer most because it actually gets us in the moment. Um, we don't have the opportunity to edit. Uh, and re-edit kind of what, what we want to say. Um, so I think that that's helpful for building resilience. Mm -hmm. um, resilience is, is really a, a huge key with, with all of this. Resilience is being able to bounce back. Um, it's, not, it's not never experiencing 
hard stuff because that's gonna happen no matter what we're gonna experience stuff that that feels like shit mm -hmm. in our lives no matter what that is if we lose a loved one if we um you know uh don't get a job like or we don't do a project the way we want it to do any of that kind of stuff like confidence is not um knowing that we will never experience something that sucks or that's hard or a failure mm -hmm. it's it's knowing that we can get ourselves through it um that we have like a core sense of like who i am um and that my worth is not dependent on what i do um and and being able to move through that from there and i think that there's so much conflation and um, confusion of what I do with who I am in uh, a product-based um, culture. Mm -hmm. I, whenever I talk to people who are uh, successful in a creative career, they always stress, or this is true in like entrepreneurship as well, they always stress the amount of failure that they went through and how that was necessary to get to where they needed to go. So from an instructor standpoint, mm -hmm. when I talk to faculty, it's, we want students to try and fail and learn from that. Yeah. But the key with failure is that, well, one, failure is kind of subjective. So like if sure. you deem it a failure, it's not necessarily right. a failure. You and see, then two, yeah. it's the response after the failure right. that makes or breaks, whether that's a learning experience or just kind of furthering you down, mm -hmm. you know, a bad mm -hmm. path. And mm -hmm. so that's why when people say it's good to fail, it's because it's good to fail and then respond positively to that right. failure as what did right. I learn? How do I move forward? How do I make right. it better in the future? Right. I think that's the part that we forget yeah. that like there, there is value in the, in, in failure. And actually yes. it's kind of the secret ingredient that a lot of people say is what makes you successful is yeah. how you respond to that. I think that there are some ideas that, um, that we have about um, stress and anxiety being used to fuel creativity and production and also um, confusing self-deprecation with being humble. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that there are a lot of folks out there who feel like, well, if I'm not stressed or if I'm not anxious or if I don't push myself this hard in this way, I'm not going to be successful or I'm not going to produce the things I need to produce. Or I'm not going to be creative. Um, and like that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about like, you are here because you have a passion. You're not here because you don't care. You already care. Like there is something natural within you that has brought you to this place. What would happen if we were able to fall back and, and you embrace and use that piece instead of like the fear um, and the stress and the anxiety and the pulling all nighters and stuff like that? Um, I think that also sometimes people feel, um, I've, I've heard from, from some people from time to time, um, like if I'm not feeling like emotional pain, like that's where some of my good work comes from, stuff like that. Um, and there, there's a, a, a particular student that I was working with at one point and they were talking from that kind of perspective. And my question was like, well, so, or my questions were like, so, so you're not, you're not getting yourself out of bed like half days. I'm like, oh no. Um, and you're not going to class a, a lot. Oh no. I'm like, so how is that actually working out for you? Like, um, what would happen if you were able to embrace what's natural within you already, instead of this fear and stress that, that is being piled on top of it and covering it up? Mm -hmm. Um, it's like gold being covered by, by trash. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and how, how can we get at that and get to know yourself and get to know that piece and have that confidence in that piece? Um, and that, that piece can be resilient, um, having that anchor and that self-knowledge 
so that you can move forward and maybe not need that stress and that fear. Um, or, or knowing that being humble or operating with humility is actually knowing your accurate place in the world and your weaknesses and your strengths and self-deprecation and tearing yourself down and telling yourself that you're garbage or like, you know, things like that. Like, that's not the same thing. Like, yeah, you need to self-critique and yeah, you need critique from other people. You need to keep growing and changing and learning and getting better. Um, but tearing yourself up is not that. It's mm-hmm. a different thing. Yeah. So that's something that I think we see a lot that I wanted to make sure that we that we talked about a little bit. Yeah, one kind of, I, I guess, phenomenon, I might call it, is when I started working at CCAD for the first time, I was seeing cover letters, you know, the letter mm-hmm. that you submit to an employer saying why you want a job. Yeah. Cover letters would have language in it like, you know, I'm not very good at this type of thing, oh, but I'm good at these. Yeah, it's like you don't need to volunteer oh, the the bad the bad stuff. Like right. that's good for you to understand how you work around that. And right. but but there does seem to be a there's some sort of like need to vocalize it to get it out there because I, I don't know if it's a um, that sounds like shame to me. Yeah, that sounds exactly. that sounds like a way to because shame is actually as much as shame hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, shame is actually self protective. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like that barrier. So even if we are dumping all the stuff we think are, is not desirable or is not good, you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna use mm-hmm. that um, about ourselves, it's like, a, like it's not it, like dumping all that stuff out there and then just kind of putting it there and leave it there. Like that's actually kind of like titrating the pain or discomfort that we're willing to to experience. We're doing it ourselves. We're keeping our own hand on that dial mm-hmm. instead of leaving it open to uncertainty and, and seeing what other people will think or say or do or respond. Mm-hmm. Um, so that sounds like a shame-based thing to me. Yeah. No, I mean, after we've we've talked about it, it, it makes total sense. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling shame. I'm feeling a lack of confidence. And mm-hmm. I feel like I need to... It's like bracing for impact. Mm-hmm. It's like, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. I'll hurt myself. Right. Exactly. I already got it. I'm already taking mm-hmm. care of that. You don't need to do it. I'll do it for you. Right. Um, and yeah, it's a super... super super shame-based thing. And, and it's really sad that we do that to ourselves. Um, and it, we don't have to. There are other ways of, of, of being and trying on. Aaron, thanks again for joining yeah, us. Yeah, thank you so much, Jordan. Thanks for listening. That's our episode for today. And while this might mark the end of our conversation for now, it hopefully marks the beginning of a conversation from you. If this got you thinking about some things, then we did our job. And please do reach out to talk, whether through formal channels like the Counseling and Wellness Center, or for a career-focused conversation, the Career Services Office, or through informal channels like a friend or loved one. The important thing is that you're talking. If this is your first episode listening with us, welcome. We're happy to have you. You can catch up on past episodes through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash hustle. Our theme song is Mr. Boogaloo by the Juanitos Creative Commons license from the Free Music Archive. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.